You may have played poker, but playing poker in Texas is a different animal. This is the Texas Poker Podcast with Tyler and Clint. Hello, this is the Texas Poker Podcast. I'm Tyler. This is Clint. What's up, y'all? And we are back with episode 49. Episode 49, so this is kind of a going to be an interesting podcast. Again, I feel like whenever we're at the table together, it just ends up being a much more, it makes it for like an interesting session. I think so. Well, and also, um, I think it helps that when we're both there because you'd have two different takes on the same hand. That is true. Yeah, there's, me and you kind of go about hands. I'm more conservative. You're more not conservative. <laughs> Let's go with that. Uh, so I mean, we kind of, but yeah, there's a lot of, but there's a lot of things that are going on at the table that sometimes it's hard to verbalize. Like I mean, you know, there's some calls that you know probably don't make sense when you're telling me if I'm not at the table, but all of a sudden make a lot of sense or some bluffs likewise. No, absolutely. The thing that I've noticed that also helps is just picking up some of the smaller details in the hand. That when you're in the hand, maybe you don't remember, but bet sizing and just, and then I like to think what I think you have or he has while it's going on and then to see if I'm right at the end. That's what I do whenever a big hand is going on. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to, like, that's one thing I need to do is uh, pay more attention to the hands at the table. I'm good for a while and then I kind of phase out. So it's a, but if you're there, I'll tend to pay attention to the hands that you're in a little bit at least. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know, man. When we play six, seven hours, eh, like I mean, you're supposed to be like you know observant and everything, but I tell you what, eh, there's times I'm not as not as observant as I should be. <laughs> but I guess what session do you want to start with? I guess we played that one pretty long session, uh, one hundred and one recently. I mean, I think the one hundred and one session, going over that one, is by far the. I mean, definitely the most interesting, and I only have two other sessions outside of that. So, we decide to go to 101, 101 Richmond over in Houston. Uh, you know, they just opened. We're trying to kind of give them business, and it's, I mean, I'd say it's a nice place. I mean, uh, I don't know. They're all kind of combining to me, but I like it. It's very reminiscent of Johnny Chan's 88. <laughs> <laughs> Not so reminiscent of 52 Social, the place that housed it before. Uh, so, I guess, I, let me start out with my hands, because I feel like your hands are way more interesting. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you get in some crazy stuff, but I only have two that really make really make the session at all. So, we'll start with them, because we can rush through these and then get to your way more interesting hands. Uh... I sit down with $300 and end up with Ace King of Diamonds. It's a $6 straddle. I make it 20 and I get two calls and then the straddle goes all in for ADT. Uh I feel like this is a pretty standard rip it in behind. I mean, it's $82. I only have 300 in front of me. I mean, you're pretty much always doing this, right? Oh, 100%. Uh both players fold, giving us the dead money, which I'm pretty happy at. Flop a ace, I'm good, and he doesn't show. 
it seems like whenever the straddle does this, he's really in the only interesting part about this hand is he could actually probably be pretty light. I mean, I could, I probably should be doing this with ace, queen, ace, jack too, and I'm not sure if I would. <laughs> I guess it's also player dependent, but I could see how that would be tempting. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. And then this is the more interesting hand. So I'm up quite a bit. And yeah, I'm up about three or $400 from a buy-in of 300. Not, and I end up with Ace King. This guy is new to the table. Seems like he knows what he's doing, but also kind of, kind of strange. Is that, is that fair? Sure. Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, that's a very accurate analysis. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, he's, I bet 20 and he's very new and he was like, I've seen him already get into a couple big pots. Uh, Ace King, I bet 20, two calls. He re-raises to a hundred. Uh, I've already seen him get into it fairly recently. So I go to 300 on a four bet. I'm not four betting a whole lot. So, I mean, this is, I'm not sure if I should be doing this. Uh, and then he gives the most theatrical, I mean, tanking, asking me to show a card. I mean, asking if queens are good. I mean, just, I mean, 100%. Like, somebody finally called the clock on him. And I was, I mean, I'm not usually going to call the clock or anything. So, I mean, it's, but I mean, I was like, this is just uh, very, very weird. Uh, and then he goes over the top, which just signifies strength. But at 300 in, and I got 300 behind, I've got no fold it, folds here ever. And I just make a call, and he show, and he has pocket kings. Uh, the only, I guess this hand kind of plays itself. The only thing that would be very, I later learned he was actually a super tight player and had just actually been getting hands, apparently, when he was at the table and not having shown down everything. Because later, when I saw him fold for almost two hours straight, am I certain I go over the top on that four bet? Maybe I should be, maybe I shouldn't be. I mean, I still have, I feel like his range covered a lot. I mean, Ace-King is just that strong. But, I don't know, I mean, it's... uh. I just wish it, this hand would have played out like an hour or two different later, but I don't know if I play it differently or not. Yeah, I mean, that's just the nature of, you know, how both of us play ace-king, right? So, uh, it's hard not to be results-oriented, but I still feel like you probably make the same play. Yeah, I mean, he's... I mean, he... I mean, a three-bet, as I'm still ahead of a lot of, I think, a three-betting range. I mean, he seems like a player who studies, who would probably be three-betting... Maybe ace queen, maybe probably queens, probably jacks. So it's probably a little results oriented. Uh, but like I say, I just, yeah, I mean, like I say, even if I see him play super tight for a while, uh, there's a good chance I might actually be uh, going over the top here for a four bet. I guess that is not great when those are your two big hands, right? Those was not a great. I'll go ahead and wrap up my session on this one. Uh, I was up a little bit and then went down. Uh, it was I ended up down two sixty five for the session. Not the best, not the worst. Uh, 
I mean, it was one of those, though, I found it to be a pretty interesting, fun session, regardless of being down. I thought the table... I've been getting in some boring-ass tables, and this was one of the more interesting tables with more interesting characters. Would would you agree? I agree. I mean, it was probably more fun because you got to watch me and some of those other people mix it up pretty, pretty heavily. Well... You're like, but you were playing pretty tight. It's just the hands you did get in were very. There were fireworks going off. Right. Well, okay. I guess we'll start with my my hands. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of the first one. So I was playing pretty tight for a while. I was up, um, just a very little bit. I was. It was then. I I was in a bomb pot where everyone was saying one player didn't want to play it because he was saying it's always a chop. It's always a chop. I get Ace King of Diamonds as well. On one board I have a flush draw. The other board I have Ace High. Sorry, pair of aces. It comes Ace High. Then on the so uh, I bet pretty big at one caller. The turn I turn top two pair on the Ace High board, so Ace King. Okay. And on the other board I brick the flush, but it doesn't pair the board. Uh okay so. On the Ace-King board, is there a straight or flush available? Um, no. Okay, so the Ace-King's pretty strong here right now. Okay. So, I end up going all in, because I actually didn't have too much in my stack at this point. Okay. I mean, I had, I mean, it was quite a bit, but I mean, uh, it wasn't like $1,000. It might have been 500 400 Yeah. So. That sounds about right. I get called, brick the flush on one board. Uh, a six comes on the top board, which I thought was irrelevant, but he had six, seven for trips and two pair, I believe. So on the flush draw board, you actually had, he actually had two pair where you had the flush draw on the, on the other board, you have uh ace king to uh, top two pair, but he has one pair of sixes and rivers trips. Right. For the good. one outer. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, if somebody hits a one-outer on you, I mean, there's not much you can do here. I mean, I remember trying to analyze the hand as you're going in. I'm like, well, you know, it's only two pair and a flush draw. I mean, did you overplay the hand or anything like that? But I later realized, I mean, if he has two pair and he rivers the six for trips down low, I mean, he was going to bet anyways and... You probably, I mean, you're probably just too strong to uh, fold here. So, I mean, it seems like it was just gonna. Ha- this was gonna happen regardless. Yeah. So, I mean, that was that was the first hand. So that was pretty detrimental to my stack as it went to zero. Uh- <laughs> yeah. When one outers are hit against you, it usually is not great for you. Um. So then I added on or another buy in something like that. Um. Play some more hands. I don't think almost nothing happened. Got some good bluffs through. Um. Then I get, was it the Jack-10 hand or the Aces hand that came for next? Oh, I guess it was the uh, Jack-10 hand. Okay, no, yeah, it was definitely the Jack-10 hand. I do know that. So I get dealt Jack-10 of hearts. And this guy who comes who how would you describe this player? Just very action? So, okay, I think the best way to describe him is he came straight from the PLO table <laughs> when the <laughs> PLO game broke. <laughs> So, if you know somebody who comes from a PLO table, they're usually not nits. 
Uh, right, and he was down, and he was verbal about it, very vocal about it. So He was very down, but sitting with a gigantic stack. Wait, wait, but first when he sat down, he sat down with $200. I busted him the first hand. Oh, did you? I didn't even yeah. realize he sat down with $200 that first. I just remember that gigantic stack on, on that. Yeah, no, I flopped open-ended on him, and he shipped it, and I had two overs and a straight draw. Okay. And I rivered one of the overs, and uh, it was good. So okay. It was either 200 or 300 something like that. Uh, but then he just bought Then he added on for just a ton of money. Yeah, it had to be like at least 1000 right? I think more. But... Yeah. It's a... So, okay, so let's, hit the, let's go over this hand, though. So he's in the straddle. I call with my jack ten of hearts. Uh, you think... only call? Mm-hmm. What straddle? I would have thought you'd be raising here. Uh, I think I called expecting him to raise. Oh, okay. I got you. And I think a bunch of people called. He raised as advertised. Okay. And um, I like having some of those hands with those type of players in the button. Uh, in the straddle, when I know they're going to be raising a lot, having some limp calling in okay. these type of games when it's pretty deep. Fair enough. Um, so I, I limped with the intention of calling. So I call the, uh, I think it was maybe four, what, three ways to the flop. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, and I believe he made it 20 to go. The flop comes ace of diamonds, 10 of diamonds, six of clubs, I believe. It checks to him. He checks it back. Okay. So now I know he can't have or he shouldn't have an ace a lot of the time. Okay. This was my analysis of it in the moment, because he would have bet to defend against the flush draw. The turn is the ace of clubs. So now it's ace of heart, sorry, ace of diamonds, ten of diamonds, six of clubs, ace of clubs. Okay. I bet about pot, so 50 into 60. I like this. I mean, he he really should never have an ace here. I mean, you likely have the best hand. I mean, this is kind of... You can bet here for both value and protection a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, first guy folds, he calls. The river is a three of hearts, complete brick. I... Did I check or did I bet? I think I bet 100. Did I bet... That seems right. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember your actual action, but I just think you're betting this way more often than not yeah so i bet and um he then raised to 500 i mean and in the moment i'll tell you what i was thinking in the moment so i was thinking that an ace he never has an ace here because he checked on and this player had shown bluffs before and had made a lot of moves so i was thinking he never has an ace here because i would put him on a flush draw and then, he, but he called that turn bet, so I put him on like we were talking about maybe a backdoor flush draw, right? But then I was thinking, well, if he never has an ace, I think I'm good here. But then there's a gigantic over bet, so I was kind of torn in the moment. I mean, it's definitely like so. I think oh, like the listeners are going to listen to this like a bet re-raise, and it's so super strong. But with this exact player, he's been so splashy. I mean, he's gotten it in almost every hand he's been in for he- for several hundred dollars. Uh, this is a weird spot. For, I mean, this is just a horribly weird spot. Because I mean, one is when he checks when he checks the flop, it's unlikely as an ace. 
Well, now the river is an ace. It's even more unlikely he has uh, an ace. Turn was an ace. Yeah. River was a three. Oh, that's right. Turn was an ace. Uh, so, so that makes it a little less likely that he has an ace. Uh, so on this river, I mean, now when he bets, I mean, this amount, he's really only, it's either a bluff or, I mean, a boat here. Right, and I normally I would think I would fold this river, just like as we were talking about last week, just respecting what they're representing. Right. But with this particular player, I was thinking that, I mean, is he just giving it away right now, trying to sell this bluff, that I put him on a bluff, and this three shouldn't change that much. I think I was ahead on the turn. So even though it's for a lot of money in correlation to the pot, how often is he just bluffing here is what I was thinking i mean against players who are this aggressive and are just going at it all the time i mean you definitely have to have a calling range especially when they're representing a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense right so i called and he had pocket threes for the rivered boat i mean <laughs> this is just this session i mean they get hit by a one outer and then a two outer uh I don't know. I mean, like I say, a lot of people I think would sit here and say, like, well, like uh, that river re-raise on that is kind of crazy. But when it's a very aggressive player and there's not much they can be representing, because, I mean, this guy could have called the turn with just, like, could have turned a flush draw, could have had queen-jack, king-queen, have no showdown value, and then goes, I don't know. I mean... I don't know if this call is good or not. I mean, I just, but there you have to do have to have some calling range against a player like this, and I think just getting unlucky where somebody hits a two outer like that. Yeah, so I mean that was pretty detrimental, <laughs> definitely annoying. Um, <laughs> but. Well, and, but we also talked the the very other thing is, do we think he does this if he doesn't hit the three? So that was my thought. My thought was yes. I mean, my argument's going to be if you're going to call with pocket threes in a three-way pot with ace, ace, ten on the board on a raised pot, then there's at least a chance you're doing this so you can make a move. Well, you got to think he's probably doing this when the diamond comes, the club comes, or the three comes. That's true. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a... Yeah, I mean, and the threes looks like the safest of the cards by far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was, I don't know. I mean, that's a really, I mean, just a super tough hand there. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. That, that was a, That's a really tough spot. But I guess we'll talk about, for me, what was basically the um, the hand that divine, defined my session. So I get pocket aces, two black aces, clubs and spades, if you don't know. Um <laughs> but I opened a 20. I get quite a few callers, more than I expected, like four or five. Okay, I remember it being quite very I think multi-way. Four. I think four callers, five ways going to the flop. The flop comes eight, five, three, with two clubs and a heart. So eight of clubs, five of clubs, three of hearts. I have the ace of clubs. Okay, I mean, th- this is a pretty good flop for aces. I mean, like, I mean, it's kind of connected, but there's really no straights. I mean, there's a lot of dra- there's some draws you can get uh, available from, but I, this is a pretty good f- uh, flop for you. 
Um, so someone donks into me for 20. Okay. I raise to 125. I like this. I mean, I guess it's kind of dangerous. Well, I mean, I think you can do this because it's multi-way and makes it more dangerous because it's multi-way. But there are so many draws here, and $20 does not seem like enough. It seems way too small. Right. But so he calls. Um, the turn is the six of diamonds. Um, so he checks it over to me. I bet 350 There's another reason I like the flop bet, too, is because, like, the six of diamonds, if you don't, if you just call here or you don't re-raise big, you're a little scared of 5-6 or like 6-8 or something. Or, I mean, now that you've kind of polarized, it's going to be hard for him to have this. And you make it 350 350 yes. Very gigantic bet into this pot, right? Right, and he has about $65 behind after he calls the 350 I remember seeing you bet. I, I remember watching you bet this. And I was like, God damn. Damn, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of money into that pot. Okay, that's a. Uh... Um, so four spades comes on the river. I'm pretty happy. I had already said, well, I'm not folding. Obviously, I mean, I can't think of a single card in the deck. I mean, you don't want to see a club, but even then, I'm not with holding the ace of clubs. I'm not folding. Um, so he throws in his last sixty bucks or seven, whatever it was. I make the call. Uh, he had he turns over queen deuce of clubs. I was like, oh. That's nice that they, you know, faded the clubs. Then he says straight. So he hit the straight on the river with the four spades. So he had the deuce. So it was, he had the two, three rivers, the four, five, six. So. God almighty, man. <laughs> so, I mean, that basically put me into shambles. And then my last hand, I dealt pocket tens versus pocket kings. And went all in preflop and lost. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, it shows, like, one, how tough it can be to play poker when you get the money in that good and lose, and how profitable be, poker can be, because players are making a call. I mean, that, you want to talk about a horrid call. We ran it, like, what? It was, he was, like, 25% to win. Right, yeah. And, I mean, knew how to, knew, at that point, you know have no showdown value, so you know you have to hit, and, I mean, there's no implied odds, really. I mean, shows how profitable poker can be that you're getting calls this bad, and also how tough it is when you're getting the money in good and still walking away from the table with zilch. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, that was, I mean, talk about being shell-shocked after that session, and I mean, that one was tough going, uh, I mean, I don't know, I didn't even know what to think. I felt like I might just be wasting my time doing this podcast, playing poker. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. When, I mean, you got to think, getting hit by a two-outer is pretty rare. You got hit by a one-outer and a two-outer in the same session, and then got it all in, and then got a huge pot as a 75% favor and couldn't fade that either. This session was just, there's certain sessions where, you know, you no matter what, you're just golden and you're going to win. And there's certain sessions that, you know, they're kind of in between, and that's kind of where poker you know, the good players really come into play. And there are certain sessions, no matter what you do, you're going to get screwed. This was your day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was that was pretty tough. So, I mean, in for 
tons out for zero. Yeah, it was a. Uh, so yeah, it was really. It was a tough tough day for the Texas Poker Podcast. I mean, I was I was definitely not down that much, but never good when we're both at the table and we both take a loss. <laughs> it's good for the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you weren't down that much, but you were definitely getting no sympathy from me. Oh so. yeah, yeah. I, was, I mean, I was yeah. We went and grabbed breakfast after. And I'm like, I kind of wanted a bitch about my loss, but I was like, that'd probably be in poor taste trying to pound. <laughs> So, but I guess you end up, I mean, yeah, I guess you have anything else to say about that session or? No, that was pretty much it. I mean, like I said, I thought it was a real interesting, uh, there was a guy to my right who's kind of a, seems like a pro grinder. It, I thought it was weird that there were set, like the players were either really bad or really good. Like there was no in between at that table. I mean, the ones, it was a decent table because the ones who were bad were horribly bad. Well, and the weird thing was that guy who called all the way down with Queen Deuce. He was playing very tight, and yeah. then all of a sudden gets Queen Deuce and just loses his mind and calls all the way down. But, you know, he did that earlier in the session, too, with, like, a weird hand like that. But, I mean, yeah, he wasn't making, like, he wasn't one of those that was just in every pot and just calling everything down. Super weird. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that. Why me? <laughs> Why you? <laughs> Like, if you're gonna make the stand, do it against Clint so I can laugh. Yeah. Well, I mean, you want him to make the stand. You just don't want him to hit the stand. Um. <laughs> uh, okay. So I got. So I've had two sessions in uh, after that, and one was at Paramount, and I think this is kind of an interesting. This hand brings up an interesting topic. So we are playing Omaha, your favorite game. Sure, yeah. I'm, I always find it funny when you consult me for Omaha advice. I'm just like, yeah, I play like no Omaha. <laughs> <laughs> when I do play, I'm just like a complete fish out of water. <laughs> so, Dude. you're like, well, what would you do? I'm like, well, whatever I do, you shouldn't do. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> do the opposite. <laughs> but, okay, go ahead. I'll humor you with my uh, analysis of this PLO hand. Okay, so I have King 10, 9, 5. Nothing great. But uh, the flop is Ace 10, 10. It checks to me. I'm like, I don't think a lot of people slow play in Omaha. I mean, trip 10 seems pretty good here. I uh, bet 15 and get two calls. Uh, the pot is 60. I turn five. A turn of five for the boat. So, which weirdly does changes nothing. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, because, I mean, I had trip. I mean, outside of, you know, ace 10, I already had the best hand. Uh, or pocket aces. I mean, and now, you know, I have a boat, but it's a, you know, oh, there. But, oh, I'm sh it was a flush draw, and it also hits the flush on the turn. Okay, well, that's nice. That is nice. I bet 60. The player goes all in. I call. He doesn't show, so neither do I. I river the nine for another boat that makes no difference, because now the only thing I'm beating is the boat that I had before. <laughs> uh... And he's and then I show the nine ten and he's like, oh, you rivered me, and I'm like, because he shows the flush. I'm like, no, I had I had the boat on the turn, and then he's like, oh, okay. And then this is kind of where I'm not sure. Like sometimes I'm like, well, maybe Omaha is just not a good game because the preflop equities run so close together. 
and like a lot of times it's a combo draw versus you know a better uh, like a just a made a good a very good made hand but then i get calls like this where i bet the flop on a paired board and someone chases a flush draw that even if they hit they might not be good and then i bet pot once they hit a flush draw on a paired board and they call or go all in it makes me think that I guess any game can be profitable if people play it poorly enough. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's Omaha's one of those that I kind of think, uh, like, at times, I'm like, I don't know if this is a deal, but if it's a bad enough game. Like, I mean, the one that stands out the most is that one where you went all in and somebody called you, like, with fourth nuts and you were, you were like, going all in for, like, $500. <laughs> Yeah, and then he was just thinking, I wouldn't think you'd play the nuts that way. I was like, wow. By betting them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you should rec- <laughs> I recommend trying it. I recommend, if I if I if if you have the nuts, just betting it. Uh, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, as far as the rest of the session, I have some, let me see. I made one hero call that would be kind of interesting. Ace, Jack, I bet 15, I get three callers. The flop is six, deuce, three, checks around. Turn is a three, and I bet 40. And, I mean, my theory is nobody's checking a six. There's just too many overcards that can come. Uh, or, like, fours or fives or anything like that. Uh, one player calls. The river's a 10. I check. He bets 40. I can't make sense of this at all. I'm like, it seems like he would have bet a six, bet an overpair, bet like overpairs or anything like that. I'm just completely gone. I go ahead and call ace high, and he hit the 10 on the river. He had a gut shot. He had 510. Yep, I'm playing with people who play five, play 510. Still losing this session. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to tell you, I also had a hero call. Uh... Except for it was that uh, earlier in the week. I completely skipped this session. I ended up profiting half decent there, about half a buy-in. Weird when that's my awesome session. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I hero called down with ace high there, and uh, it was against some maniac guy, and he had king high, and he bet, like, pot on the river, and I called him with ace high. So that was pretty cool. That is really cool. But, I mean, it kind of goes to set show on these hero calls when they'd make no sense. If... Should we just be giving credit? Because I mean, does this guy just does this guy just check back his misdraw or anything like that? I mean, because every time it seems like I come across a hand that makes no sense, and they bet it, they just literally hit a random card that makes no sense in the hand and actually have it. So uh, I just kind of found that interesting. I mean, I guess for forty dollars into that pot, I mean, I kind of have to call. I don't know if I have to call there. I was about to say, I don't know if we can justify having call with yeah. Ace High ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have been curious. Uh, oh, God. You didn't even talk about that bomb pot hand where you made that light call and you're like, I have to win one of these or this will be a gigantic punt. That was one of the oh. funniest bomb pot moments ever. You know what? It was at that 101 game where we lost, and I mean, it was a this gigantic. I mean, about like 250, and basically, I have a pair on each board. 
<laughs> but not even an awesome pair. Not even great pairs. And I make a call, and I'm good with one of them. But I was like, man, I was telling the table, I'm like, if I call and this is not when, this is going to be the biggest punt you've ever seen. <laughs> and then the guy turned over bottom pair, and you were like, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me right now? And they go, oh, no, I beat bottom pair. I was like, well, thank God. <laughs> well, yeah, it was a uh, – well, I had I knew I had equity on both boards, the heads-up pot, and the way it was played, I thought I might be good. But it was it was a light call. I would have loved to just see – I have ace high on both boards. <laughs> <laughs> Do I scoop? Yeah. <laughs> uh. But, yeah, because he was hammering money into a pot. And, I mean, you were talking about a light call when someone was hammering money in. Uh, this Paramount session, I can wrap it up because those were really the only two interesting hands. I end up getting into a bomb pot. It's a weird bomb pot. I uh, get... I It's an Omaha bomb pot. I flop top two on one board and second flush on a paired board. Second nut flush draw. Uh... And end up just getting roped in with pot odds. Yeah, when you were talking about it, I was thinking, we were both agreeing that it was a fold if you had more money behind. There's one of those ones that, uh, he saw, it was like you bet and, didn't you bet nine, or you called 90 or something, so it went all in, and then you had like 130 or 40 more behind or something. Yeah, I mean, I won't go into like, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, I feel like it's just too much of the details, but basically I have... Decent hand, uh, someone bets 100, I call, and when they go all over the top, it's one of those that it's on the fringe, but it's just too strong to let go given the odds. I mean, at least in my world, it was it's probably a close. It's probably not a bad fold or call, actually. Uh, and for, for the stack size. If you had, yeah. like we said, if you had 300 behind... It was being a fold. Yeah, yeah. Even if I had, because I think I had like one eighty. Even if I had like a hundred more, I could justify this fold. Right, and that's what we're saying. Yeah, you described what you had before. It was light, and a ton of money went in. But once you already have the hundred out there, and you only have hundred eighty more to win, what was like? I don't remember how much you said it was. Over a thousand, right? Or I mean, close it was to. Quite. It was a lot. That's all I remember. Yeah. yeah. So that that's what you meant by that. But so yeah, it was a. Uh, but we'll. Yeah, we can uh, go through that, but uh, let me see. This next session is at a new poker club called Offsuits. And, man, you kind of have to go to this poker club. Like, it is a bunch of, like, hipsters who don't really play poker because it's in, like, a really trendy part of Houston. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of interesting. And it hooks into a bar. It's very, a very interesting, like... It, one of our big complaints is that just every poker club basically just looks like every poker club after a while. This one's a little different. Uh, so we'll, but I go there and basically get it all in with Jack Nine of clubs. The flop is two clubs and eight high. The guy donks uh, fifty into me, and I just re-raise one fifty. Uh, he calls, and then I. The turn is a brick. It goes check. I feel like if I re-raise and he calls, there's no reason to bet here. And I check it, miss the river, he donks into me, and I just fold. So that one was tough. Uh, I then later hit a set to someone's uh, top pair and get almost all of it back and then some. 
And then I get Pocket Kings, Rays, and again, it's a very wet board. And it was seven, eight, it was eight, nine, ten. <laughs> the wettest board, sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry. That was wrong. It was Jack 10. It was 910 Jack because I had a gutter to the straight uh, and a backdoor flush draw, and someone flopped a straight. So it was a. Uh, so, I mean, it's like the hands kind of play themselves. Nothing, nothing big here. The big thing that I really wanted to go over on this one was at one point. Well, let me set up this deal. This is not the normal night at this room. It is a super party atmosphere. Uh, there is just, I mean, you want to name it, scantily clad women, just just all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of shenanigans. That it is just like, it is, they, have, they have made this into like a complete party here. And it was a fun time. But I'm asking what the drop was. And it was $20. It was a $20 max, 10%. And I think this this Offsuits Club, every time I've gone, has been a time game. Very reasonable. I think it's only because they were having this party night. Let me get that, uh, straighten that out. But I was like, God almighty, that's a gigantic drop. Or it was more, was it just, it was a private game, basically, how hosted there? Kind. That's what, yeah, kind of. I would go ahead and say that. Yeah, because normally it would not be a drop game. It would be a uh, time game at that location so yeah good to clarify that yeah it's almost always a time game it's been a time game every time i've gone there uh so this was more like a private game uh but it i mean there's all this going on it was a very fun environment and poker can be a grind it can be boring sometimes and it did start me thinking like how much more are you willing to pay in rake for certain amenities, whether it be more fun to play, whether it might be a fight that you're going, like a like really good TVs or anything like that. A pay-per-view fight. Yeah, a pay-per-view <laughs> fight. <I> mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, what? No, I want to see two people slug it out there. Uh, well, I mean, because I noticed this. I would probably, I mean, I definitely think there's a limit where I am willing to pay slightly more. Right, but I think your slightly more is twelve bucks an hour versus twenty dollar drop. Oh, I mean a hundred percent. I mean I'd do this. Like I would go. I would have gone back on this because it's a one time thing, and it's just like, well, every now and then, I still consider poker a hobby to a degree. I mean a profitable one, but it's something it, to mix it up. But no, this would I would never make this a regular game. Right, but I guess, I mean, you're making it. Well, I guess that kind of salt answers your question right there that you would not pay that much for the amenities because you would never make it your regular game. It's too much money. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, I mean, a one-time thing, yes. But, yeah, as a regular game, probably not. Uh, but, I mean, let's say this. Let's But let's like it, make it more reasonable. Like, let's go with, let's say Legends. Like, you, if you, actually, is it $12 an hour if you don't buy in bulk? Or is I, it I always buy in bulk. Yeah, so do I. And it's like makes it six dollars an hour, super cheap to play there. I thought that was even lower now. Mm, last I checked, it was six. But I mean, we could double check. Either way, I mean, this is hypothetical versus and anyway. Right? Only six if you buy in bulk. But let's say, yeah, let's say hypothetically, it's like ten, ten an hour, and Prime is twelve an hour. 
I mean, Prime is so nice that I think I would choose to play there more often for the extra $2 an hour to be in a nicer environment. Is that something that you would do? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, so it's just literally the end. Like, it's only, it would be almost completely about, like, just cutting the cost. Well, cutting the cost, but um, I guess between those exact two rooms, you have to talk about, you know, Legends has a game going 24-7. You have to talk about how that's where all the players are. They have cheap food. You have to talk about, I mean, the horrible parking, which is something you have to deal with. But, I mean, that's that part is nice about Prime, but I don't know. I just, I think the nicer environment is very, I mean, well, I mean, like, uh, let's cut the games out. Because, I mean, if you, if, I mean, if there's no games, then you're gonna, then obviously you're just going to go to that other room. So I feel like that's an unfair, uh, although Prime has been getting a lot of action lately. But that being said, it's, uh, uh, let's cut that part out. But I mean, I don't know, for me, like, and I was remember talking to this guy who was opening up a room in Austin, and I'd met him at Caesars Palace in Vegas. And he was of the deal, like, he's like, players want action, but they don't really care about any of the other stuff. Whereas, I like the, you know, slightly nicer chairs, slightly nicer tables, like the the enjoyment of, like, the, you know, the bar area and all that. For me, it actually comes into play. Like, I don't know, I would be willing, like I say, I'm not going to pay much more, because the game still has to be beatable. But also... That stuff does attract players who are not strictly for profit, too. Right. I guess that's the big takeaway is, is it attracting the players, the more rec players? I mean, I think so sometimes, definitely. Well, because um, if you are a rec player playing for fun, you for sure are going to the nicer place that you're going to have a better time at. Right? So, I guess it's very dependent on who shows up that day, right? On if it's worth it. I mean, it's true. I mean, without a doubt. So. I mean, you could have shown up to that game that they were dropping 20 out of every pot, but if everyone was playing their cards blind or just so bad, and it was just such a party atmosphere where no one cared about money, and you made, you know, a few thousand bucks, that would have been definitely your regular game. Oh, even a $20 drop at that place, it was beatable. I mean, the game was that good that it was still beatable at that point. I mean, there were several players who didn't, there were two players who didn't know the rules of the game. I mean, they're like, I've, I've seen it on TV type deal. And they bought in for like 400, 500 bucks. Uh, I mean, I mean, and yeah, it was, that game was even still beatable. So, I mean, if the game is better, but I mean, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, I definitely feel like I don't know how much I'm willing. I don't know where that line is, but I think it's always interesting to kind of like go like where the rake versus you know, some of the amenities. I think we're both on the same side. Like, I'm always going to go, like, the lowest rate possible. Or, like, in in Texas, that's time. No, I mean, whatever you're paying the least. But I will say, the other things do come into play as well. I mean, like we've always said, I mean, this right here will be something we can close the podcast out on as advice of picking a room. I mean, the best games that we've played, I mean... When I play, I've never drinking one time when playing poker. The best games are the ones with the bar. That's 100% true. That is so <laughs> true. I mean, 
that is the one that is the one thing I really miss too is like fifty two social. That was when that was the action place to play. It has a bar. It had a bar. I'll tell you what. I've noticed a difference. I mean, Texas Card House. You get yeah. some great action there. Uh-huh. If you haven't been, I mean, they have a bar. I mean, Legends not having a bar. I mean, I tell you what. It just it changes things. Right. I mean, Prime has a bar, right? Prime. Prime has an amazing bar. <laughs> right. It's uh. So yeah, it was a. Uh, I definitely think that's something to look for. Right. So, I guess. Do you have anything else to conclude with? No, that's pretty much it. That's uh. We'll have to see. I think I'm gonna play maybe at Paramount tonight, or. I don't know. We'll uh. We'll kind of look at it and see. But uh. Let's try to try try for another week. It's a. Uh, it was. It's been a very profitable couple weeks, but it's kind of slowed down. So hopefully uh, tonight and maybe a couple other nights this week we can pick it back up. Right. Well, I'm kind of in the middle of a move right now, so my poker is very limited. But I should be playing Thursday for sure. Maybe today late, but definitely Thursday. Kind of a lot goes on in a move, as you know. So, you know. God, so much, and I hate it. Every <laughs> yeah. minute of it. So I guess on that note, We'll talk to you next week. Bye. That was the Texas Poker Podcast. Go ahead and rack up. Add time and we'll see you next week.